0: It's amazing to stand up here, and Mike McIntosh I, uh, said that on Sunday we have guys some up here like Barry, Don Stewart, Mike McIntosh, David Hawking, Jack Hibbs, and then you got me and, and and Mike McIntosh Sunday at early services. It looks like they reached the bottom of the barrel to get me up here, and I, and I was sitting over there thinking, I guess, well, I'm underneath the bottom of the barrel, basically, to get me to teach. So. Uh, it's a pretty frightening thing because we are very blessed that we have men that are truly committed to the word of God. And it's just something I strive for. I mean, you look up to these men and you respect them. And obviously, you don't idolize them as only Jesus, but for what who they are. And we're very blessed. Um, last Sunday, Mike did talk about uh, he was in the book of Mark. And I was going to go somewhere, and in the men's study, were in a book of Mark, and the Lord pressed on me on Sunday, stay in the book and talk about something that I talked about in the past. And, he, you know, Mike talked about when the raging waters during our lives start to begin to sink our boat, basically, when the storm is. He says, don't let that change who you are in Christ. That's the big thing. And we're going to talk a little about that, about character. What I have decided to... Uh, um, what I love about this is that the Lord put put in his word, I love how the Lord put all these men of God and women in the book in the book and all their different personalities and traits, and I believe sooner or later we will end up acting like one of them and in, in some of their flaws and their personalities, some of their struggles. And I think God did that because then we can relate to it and say, There's hope. I can do that. I love the word of God because when I read these stories, I put myself in that position. The last thing I do is think, oh man, how could those guys do that stupid thing? I do stupid things every day. And I just thank God that he's there to forgive us. I mean, I just thank God that, that all these men and women that we look up to, everything turns all right out. Everything for God's glory had happened, except maybe for the acceptance of Judas. But everything worked out well. God was faithful, and that's encouraging us, and that's why I like studying the characters in the Bible. I can relate to these guys. You take, when I, I draw, and we take Abraham. We take Abraham. Look at the man like this, and what does he do? He hands his wife over to a king and say, take my sister, you can have her. Well, I've been there, you know, not a very good husband at times. Jacob, a master manipulator, until the Lord pinned him to the ground. I mean, we've all done that. We've all tried to manipulate things in our own way, and it's not working out how we think it should work out. God had a plan, but we have our plan. And that's what Jacob did until he pinned him to the ground. And uh, I feel like I've been pinned to the ground. Right? I'm getting hit surgery in a month, and I know what Jacob must have felt like because I've been dragging this leg around for about six months. So I understand the humbling with that. You have David, a man among men, and what did he do? He run around gaff like a crazy man with spittle running down his beard. I mean, you you identify, I said, how can a guy be so blessed by the Lord and go sideways? But I thank you for that. He was called to lead a nation, but he couldn't even lead his family. I remember in the fire department, I was I'm a captain in the LA, L.A. City Fire Department. A lot of you know that. I, Being a captain, I could do that. That was me coming home to be a husband and a father, man. I crashed and burned continually, and I understand it. And I thank you for the stories of David because it helps me. Isaiah, I just, for that, thank God. God hasn't asked me to run around in the desert naked for a while. I appreciate that, so we'll move on from that one. And there was Paul, a man, that one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. And he says, I I, I do the things I can't stand, but I don't do the things I know I should do. So I thank you for men like that. And it encourages us. And tonight, I want to take a, look, a quick look—a little look—a man who, personally, I is one of my is the favorite beside Jesus, the favorite, and that's Peter. And who went through major character transformation. And one of Satan's greatest attacks on us is the degeneration of human character. And the definition of character is the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. And obviously, we're supposed to take on the characters of Christ. But God has made us individual characters and the whole world and the enemy has done great things. He's doing great. He's not great things. He's doing these things that we see now to 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 take our character away, take away sexual identity, take away what marriage should be between a man and a woman, life in a womb, destroy our character. Everything we do. It's 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 Satan. We look at this. If you can step back, it's an attack on our character, who we are in Christ. The socialists, which are right out of the straight of hell, where that where that idea that comes in that we're all equal, we're all the same, and we're all dressed the same and act alike and everything's free. God says you will earn your keep by the sweat of your brow. God says if you don't work, you don't eat. There's nothing greater to have self-esteem when you bring a paycheck home and raise a family and you're leaning on the Lord. They The enemy wants to take that all away. He wants to destroy our character. It's the same thing with the, what we see with this global warming insanity. These are not saying 2 Corinthians that he will create a new heaven and a new earth. This world has been polluted by sin and you cannot fix it. The only way you kill sin is through death. And this world has to die because it's polluted by sin. The definition of character. So let's look at Mark. 14, just a few verses, 14:26 to 31, 14 to 26. OK, it says we'll start with 27. It says, then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even if all made to stumble, yet I will not be, yet I will not be. And Jesus said to him, and surely I say to you, that day, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke verminently, if I had to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for these verses. I thank you for these, these examples in the Bible that men, that you took mere men and women with, with just flaws and shortcomings, and it was you showed us how you take us and use us for your glory. And God, I ask you to just lead us through this time and through this word, God, that you would speak, you would encourage, you would, you would give us a perspective to understand in these most wicked times for the glory sake of your name. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. The title of my message goes is Here Comes the Rooster. Now, why I picked that title was because when that rooster crowed, there was an instant changing in Peter's character. The light came on. And there could be a rooster in our life, and we're going to talk a little about that later in the message, but the rooster is something that God is putting or reminding or showing us to change us. As we look at these passages of Scripture, it is also noted in the Gospels of Luke and John that Jesus predicted both the disciples' abandonment and Peter's denial while they were still having supper. True to form, Peter reacted strongly in Jesus' prediction, but Peter could not imagine the disciples abandoning Jesus, least of all himself. And people look at that and say, I would never deny Jesus. Let's not be too hard on Peter and criticize him. We need to walk, as you say, a mile in his shoes. We should first see ourselves in him. Peter reminds us how easy it is to profess our faith and how difficult at times it can remain faithful under pressure. And those pressures can come from any direction. Finances, family relationships, work, political atmosphere, just to name a few. If there was one person in the Bible who I would consider a sort of a role model for me, a person that that, that mimics my personality that I can relate to, which I like to do with Jesus, but it's Peter. My wife always has said to me, you remind me of Peter, you're always in trouble saying the wrong thing, unintentionally running people the wrong way. And my response is, he's just misunderstood. Pastor Dave and I were elders together years ago, and, and then the Lord rightly so called this man to be a pastor. And now he's the, as the elder, they are today under his supervision. And it didn't take long until I would hear, hey, Craig, we need to talk. And after a while, I, when I heard those words, my response to it was, I'm sorry, what did I do now? Okay, I love Peter. That guy was always in it. <clears throat> I'm so conditioned by my wife <laughs> that when she calls, I hear her voice, Craig, I just mean to say I'm sorry. You know, I have learned as a husband, it's better to be happy than true. To be, it's better to live... To, to be right than to be happy, okay, so but my wife is usually right, so if I follow her, I become happy, but the, you know our, our wives are like our holy spirit, I think, for men here, especially blockheads like me, but on the other side of the coin, my wife would say, "I admire your boldness and your passion, defending and presenting the gospel that 's what matters you see peter wasn 't afraid to be in the game, even though he had to, to, to learn a lot. I believe there is no other disciple that can compare to Peter when it comes to trial and error. That man was in the game. He said, call me, Jesus, and I'll walk on water. None of the other disciples did that. He says, he says I know who you are. You're the Christ. And he says, wow, I did that. That was the problem he had to fix. He says, you're not going to die, Jesus. You have to lead us. And what did he have to do? Satan, get behind me. Jesus said, I'll build three tents. Is this what we should do here? He was in the game. Yeah, he was having problems, but he was in the game. I'll never forsake you. I'm willing to die for you. Well, we know how that went. Peter put, a, And then finally, Jesus said, to him, Peter, put away that sword and give me that ear back that you just cut off that so I can fix it. Peter was always getting fixed by Jesus. And at the end, he said, it's over, boys. I'm going fishing. Peter was done. But man, he was there. You don't hear that from any other disciples. You don't hear the guy, him him jumping in with both feet. Oh, but who led 3,000 people to Christ at Pentecost? Who wasn't worried when chained to a guard in prison, sleeping on an angel, had to wake him up to get him out of prison? Who spent the last six months of his life in prison cell with raw sewer and waste up to his knees and then requested that he be crucified upside down because he wasn't worry, worthy to die the same way as his master Jesus was? That's Peter. Peter had a lot of character. He just had he just had to get it redirected by the Lord. We all know who Babe Ruth is, right? Famous Babe Ruth. Even probably the women know him. One of the greatest baseball players to live. He held the record for years, 714 home runs. But what we don't know about him, he also led the, led the record of the most strikeouts. you got to swing at the ball. The only people who get injured and make mistakes are those who are willing to get in the game. Peter wasn't afraid to strike out. We can sit on our hands while we sit on the bench and play it safe and never strike out. But at the same time, You'll never have the excitement and satisfaction of hitting that home run. Also, what I have learned that those who are the who who do the least or sit quietly sometimes are the most who criticize. I had a fireman when I was a young fireman. I was stationed in South Central. I spent most of my career there anyway, as they promoted through the ranks, but. It was 1985, I think it was, and the department was going through some changes, and we were starting to get women on the job, and the whole thing was starting to change, and, you know, and everyone's in a in a, in a, in a tizzy, and we're going to do this, and we're going to get these type of rescues, and so I'm out down at South Central and 33s, and one of the busiest stations in in the. In the, in the city, there's 105 stations, and I spent 99% of my career at the top busiest five stations. I loved the activity. I wanted to be in the game. I wanted to be the best at what I could do, and the only way you can do that is be at a place that does a lot. So I'm working in South Central, with, and the Bloods and the Crips were at the heights, and the fires were out of control, and the murders, and it was just crazy. You just ran day and night. And so the fire chief goes up to a place up on Mulholland Drive where you overlook the valley and it's all the birds are tweeting and they have stations up there real nice and comfy. They get one run a day and they and they just, they, you know, they just relax. And I mean, that pays the same. You can work anywhere you want, but you get to choose where you want to work. And some guys are up there because, because they've done their 30 years. They don't need to get beat up anymore. But we got some guys up there that are, just try to hide out. They don't want to work. So the fire chief goes up there and he's going around to all the stations in the city, and he wants to introduce his policy changes. Well, this guy has like 25 years on, and he starts ripping in the chief. Ah, you do know don't you die. Ah, this, that, and he's bad mouth and he's just being disrespectful, questioning everything he's doing. He says, "Really?" So that next day, that guy was transferred down to 33s, and that guy had to spend a year down there. And he was not happy, but he said, you know, but one thing he couldn't do for a year was complain. He was too busy. He had an eye opening. It changed his perspective. That's what happens. we got to be careful as Christians that we don't get a little lackadaisical, sit on our hands, and too busy to just sit in the crowd and go, I don't like that, and I don't like that, and I think we should do that. I said, well, you think so? Then get involved, and we'll see how that works out. And what builds character for us? It's the knowledge of the Word of God. Heck, if Jesus can, can call their religious leaders one, uh, on the day that you weishwat tombs, you father is the devil, you need, you need, we need boldness like that. We need to speak the truth and the only way to do that is be involved. This is the most wicked times where we need more Peters. We need more, more Jonathan Edwards and Pastor Barry's. We need Jonathan Edwards like sinners in the hands of an angry God. Pastor Dave Wilkerson, if you ever seen that guy speak, he passed away in the early two, two thousand. He was out in New York. Man, hold on to your hat. That's what we need. That's why I've been under Pastor Barry for 20 years. No guff, no compromise. Get in the game, Craig. Yes, sir. It's the best thing he ever did for me. Best thing he ever did for me. Had a woman in the Prodigal Ministry one Friday and she, she says to me that she reads all of these books that this pastor out in saddleback writes. And I kind of said, Really? And I you know, and I looked at everybody in the room and everybody just kind of looked this way and I said, Well, I just went right in my Peter morning and I said, Are you crazy? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. I just immediately said, whoa, you need to stop now. You need to, and I explained why. If you're going if I was gonna build a crew to work under me, I would want a crew of Peters. A bunch of bold loose cannons. Cause man, they'll get it done. Yeah, they'll make mistakes. Yeah, they'll do things, but they'll get it done. And I can trust them. Okay, look at verse 27 and 28 again. It says, then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the shepherd will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Here we see the second time, the second time in the same evening that Jesus predicted the disciples' denial and, and desertion, which probably explains their, probably explains their strong response in verse 31, but he, Peter... He said, spoke more vermently, I have to die, I'll have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they said likewise. In other words, other translation, it says that disciples would desert him, which means that they would take offense of him. That's hard. Take offense of him and turn away. Those are hard words. The disciples fearing that what would befall Jesus, they would not want to experience the same treatment nailed to a cross. Well, here it is. This is what I think and how I see it. Jesus had to go to the cross alone in the first place. I know Jesus did not want any of his disciples to die on the cross with him. And John, Jesus said to come there that they might have life and that have, might have, have it more abundantly. Jesus had no intention for them to die on the cross. He's been preparing for them for three years for that moment to carry the message of salvation to the world. Yes, two criminals were placed next to him, but they were not affiliated with Jesus. I believe if all 12 disciples died on the cross with Jesus, it would have minimized and deflected from the single greatest event in history that changed the world. I think Satan would have loved them all dying on the cross. He said, see, no big deal. That wasn't Jesus' point. Jesus was predestined to go to cross alone, and they forgot that. In, in Zechariah 13:7 it says, Awake, o, so- o sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike who? The shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones. You see, it had to be this way. They had to scatter the sheep because without a shepherd and on their own, the disciples had to go through a period of great trial and refining to build character. The refining process is always necessary, which strengthens and prepares us and creates a new faithful people of God. It's a requirement. Ladies and gentlemen, any time that Jesus wants you or me to be used for his glory, there's going to be a refining process There's going to be a character building, and there's no age limit. So embrace it. Absolutely embrace it. Even though the disciples would be overwhelmed by what would happen to Jesus, it was a necessary evil that would ultimately produce their salvation and their ministries. So what was the lesson that Peter learned through his denial of Jesus? What was the lesson learned by the disciples that fled in fear? What was the lesson learned by Paul? Who was blinded on the on the Damascus Road, which made him the greatest preacher of the gospel that ever lived? It was this Matthew eleven eleven, and surely I say to you, among these born of women, there are not there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So why was John the Baptist the greatest man that ever lived? All this going through, and who did who did Jesus point to? John the Baptist. And I'm going to use this to encourage you. He didn't preach on prayer, John the Baptist. He didn't uh, propagate victory through spiritual discipline. He didn't hold massive revival crusades. He wasn't known for any great ministry. Not saying these are all not necessary or important. He simply said, behold the Lamb of God who come to take away the sin of the world. That was it, made him the greatest man in Jesus' eye. So you're struggling on what to do. You want to rise up in the kingdom of God. There it is, right there. He also said that I may decrease so he would increase follow him there it is those two lines you do that you want power and authority in the kingdom of god there it is you want to be recognized by the lord as a servant of one of the greatest men and women ever lived right there point to the cross that's all you need to do that's all he did that's all he did Happy is the day when we grasp the fact that spiritual life has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. Does not the rain fall on the just and the unjust? Does not he own the cattle of a thousand hills? Happy is the day when we realize all we have to say is, I don't know why you put up with me put up with someone like me, but Lord, if you want to allow me to be in ministry, if you want to give me a family, if you want to bless me in countless ways, that is fine with me. And I know that there is nothing in me that deserves it. Peter and the disciples did not have an I problem. They had a me problem. It's all about me. That's who they were concerned about. They weren't concerned about Jesus or anybody else. They were concerned about themselves. They had a me problem. Not one of them took the time to search their own hearts. I'm sure we all have been there. A bunch of guys hanging out together, testosterone levels through the roof, right? Well, I'm going to do that. I'm standing behind the Lord. Let's go. We're going to conquer this. And then all comes time they go, oh, they run away like little children. Because they didn't know. They didn't approach the I word correctly. They should approach it with humility. They should have came and said, Lord, I don't understand what's happening. Lord, I'm scared. Lord, I don't want to die. That's okay. That's what God wants. He wants that dispense. He wants that. Lord, my faith is weak. And I've mentioned this before. But through severe season of refining that I went through, the Lord gave me, got me to a point of brokenness where I finally he asked me, and he said, am I enough for you? And I finally had to answer him honestly and say no. And he says, good. Now we can start fixing you. That's what he wants. Stop putting up the facade. Stop putting up uh, this and that and be you know the perfect Christian. We're not. He's perfect. He wants to work his perfectness through our failures. Folks, don't let anyone sell you a bell of goods saying, the reason I'm so successful is because I pray day and night. I attend every church service. I serve in ministries. They're all good in themselves. Just look back at John the Baptist. Because if we do anything for the Lord, it should be done for one reason Only. And I'm not saying you don't, because we love him. That's it. That's it. Otherwise, it's nothing but straw and rubble. Isaiah 64, 6. But we are like, we are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousness are like filthy rags. And there's an interpretation of that. I will not give it to you. We are, we, we all fade like as a leaf, and our inequities are like the wind. They have taken us away. Any person can leave here tonight to be used mightily and blessed exceedingly beyond anything they could ask for or think of if they just learn to say, I believe you, Lord, there is nothing in me that is worthy only by your grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that I can do anything. It's that simple. So if you have a need in any way, You can come boldly before the Father, even if you haven't prayed for 10 years. You can come boldly before him because of one thing and one thing only, the high priestly work of Jesus Christ. And what he accomplished on Calvary, nothing, say nothing, nothing must be added to that. Indeed, nothing can be added to that. Verse 30. Jesus said to the sinner, surely I say to you today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. I'm going to talk about this. This is very interesting. In the tradition, in Jewish tradition, chickens and roosters were not allowed in the temple area. Yes, the text reads in English indicates that a rooster crowed. As it turns out, the Hebrew word for rooster may not have been rooster at all. The King James translation is a word as cock, which was a common word for rooster in the King James day. But when the text is translated back into proper Hebrew, according to some scholars, the word was not bird, but a man. Specifically, it was the priest who was in charge of locking the temple doors at night, then unlocking the doors each morning just before dawn. So what would happen at the end of every day? A priest would place the key, after he locked all the doors, the priest would place the key... Each each night in an opening in a stone floor in one of the many side rooms of the temple. Then place a stone over it, over the opening and cover the key. And then he would place his sleeping mat over the stone. That's where he slept to guard it so that he actually be sleeping on top of the key to the temple. Then just before dawn, he would proceed to open all the doors in the temple while crying out in a loud voice three calls. To attendance. The first call would be, all the priests prepare to sacrifice. The second call would be, all the Levites, all the Levites to their station. The third call, all Israelites come to worship. He would repeat that statement three times. The idea runs parallel with the idea of a town crier, informing the people of information of what the king wanted the people to know. The king, what the king wanted the people to know. I like that. So the priest that would cry out in the morning was suggested by Hebrew scholars to be the town crier. This crier, this temple crier, according to these logistic, logistic scholars, was, was called the, um, in the Greek, elector, um, in the Greek, which can be referred to as rooster or cock or a man. Others believe that the word karyax was used in the original translation, which means temple crier. So, maybe it was a man that cried because of the tradition of not the rooster be on the temple. But, so you don't email Barry in Australia and storm our pastors at the door that with hysteria that I'm, you know, the guy speaking heresy. And the words of Hillary Clinton, what different does it make? Peter denied Jesus. Okay, just hold, just something, just put that in your back pocket. Something interesting, you know. The temple, the Jews, they had their ways. I mean, they had their rules, so it's something to consider. <clears throat> so, what we saw there what they cried was sacrifice. When he cried out, service, and he cried out, worship. The question is: Is has the Lord called you to service? Has the rooster crowed? Has the man cried out to call you to service? And with service, there's sacrifice. Has the Lord asked you to do something that you have not done or perhaps you intend to do one day, maybe tomorrow or next week or next year? Has God, has God spoken to you through His word or put a dream or vision in your heart? Have you heard the rooster crow? Maybe there's something in your character that he wants to change. And are you, and, and, and you have not responded because of fear. Fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of consequences. That you put the true service of him on hold and pretend it's not God's word to you for now. I'm gonna talk about fear for a minute. <clears throat> fear, they say, The difference between fear and courage, the only difference is, is that courage is fear that has said its prayers. Fear, courage, is fear that has said its prayers. We all battle with fear. Remember, fear is a God-given emotion that has been given to us from our protection and to warn of danger. God never intended fear to be an inhibitor to us in his service. As a fireman, I had to learn, control my fear as I used, as I used it in my, to my advantage. There wasn't a time when I had to go into a burning building or on top of a burning building on the roof to cut a hole to ventilate it. That fear wasn't present. I had to work through that fear. So when the, when the voice in my head said, don't go in there or you shouldn't be here, I had to determine was that fear or wisdom talking. The only way I could distinguish between the two was through experience and training. I believe the apostles, I, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry, I believe this also applies to our walk with the God. When we continually study the word and pray, we then will be able to discern between the voice of the enemy and the voice of the Lord. Is that from God or is that from the enemy? And if we're not in the word and we're not praying, we can't distinguish. We can't control that fear and use it to our advantage. The Lord wants us to wants us in these times of trouble to have the courage to say, God said to do it, and I'm going to do it, and if we have to get knee-deep into the fight, or I have the courage with cold feet, then we can say, I will not retreat in the fear, because I know what God has told me to do, what God requires, God enables. Do you think that every time... I come up here to teach. Fear doesn't overcome me. Yes, it does. But God says, I have called you. And I battle all for weeks or days. It's amazing. We had a house fire. And and, and I I came up from South Central taking my second captain promotion. And there's levels of captain, the highest captain promotion. And I was asked to come out to Hollywood to kind of profile myself. I said, okay. So they're busy. It's a whole different it's dark as can be, but it's a whole different activity level. So we get this huge fire up on the Hollywood Hills and um this big home, I don't know, five, six thousand square feet, just everything showing fire. We pull up and I'm going, Oh man, this is I live for this stuff. Let's go. And I got a bunch of young guys with me, and we get up there and they're already again what I talked about earlier, we have little stations on Mulholland. You know, they get one fire every five years, and they show up at this thing, and they're standing at the doorway, and they won't go in. It's solid orange. I come up with my crew. I said, what's the holdup? I'm not going in that. Fear. Why fear? They don't have the experience. They don't have the knowledge. Their training became, they didn't train enough after they learned. They're not exposed to it. They're not in the battle enough. They're not in spiritual. They're not there. And I said, well, step aside. I took my crew. We went in there and we marched through that house and we put that fire out. But that comes. That's it. That's a, that's how it is. And then that, that's what God wants us to do. We, if you want to grow in the Lord, you want to remove fear and that's all get in the game all the way back. Get in the game. And then there's call to worship. Very important. Does your worship times only include when you are in church, when there's a schedule time once a week, when you sing sing someone else's words to him? Worship should be ongoing. I want to make something very clear, and that is the most powerful weapon we have as Christians in our arsenal is worship. You can't pray, worship. You can't focus on the word, worship. Depressed, worship. In spiritual battle, worship nothing's going right worship everything's going right worship i think we should worship second chronicles perfect example 20 21 to 22 still here all right man everybody's breathing He's, so second chronicles 20 21 to 22 and when he jehoshaphat was consulted with the people he appointed those who could sing to the lord And who should praise the beauty of holiness. And here it is. As they went behind them. No, before the army of God. But the army and saying, praise to the Lord for his love endures forever. In verse 22, it says, now when they began to sing and praise, the armies set ambushes. Is that what it says? No, the Lord said ambushes, not the army against the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah and they were defeated. So the picture is there's a battle going going to take place and God puts unarmed, unprotected worshipers in front of the army to march out against another army who could kill them and they defeat him through the Lord. That's what God wants us to do. That's how we fight our battles. That's what he wants to teach us. Doesn't it say the battle belongs to the Lord? So give the battle through worship. And I'm going to say this. I do it all the time. Praise night. This place should be wall-to-wall people. This place should be shaking with singing and praising. You imagine the power that would come from that worship. You imagine if if just if if you see there in what I just read in in, in um Chronicles, where God placed worshipers in the between two armies to defeat the army and God set the trap to defeat them, imagine if we had four hundred people here worshiping on a Wednesday night, how this place would shake. And how our lives would be changed. Amen. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Pull up past Barry Stagner here. So, I have talked with, but you know, I've talked with people, and they they can't worship because they struggle. I have a sense of failure. They say before me, I failed the Lord. I I, I've blown it with my family. Whatever it may be this is exactly what the devil wants you to think because he does not want you to worship that the last thing the devil wants you to do is worship let psalm 51:17 be that be be your sacrifice because this is the goodness of the Lord. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, oh God, you will not despise. Come to him like that. My gosh, right there it is, right there. He will lift you up. And perchance you don't feel like the, feel the Lord's presence. Yes, we've all been there, that dry desert place. Yes, we do battle against a very strong adversary who lies very well. There is Isaiah 6, 66, 2. It says, For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord, but on the, this one I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit. who trembles at my word. So, therefore, always be authentic and real before the Lord and watch what he'll do for his glory. Work through those characters. Build characters. The the, the men and women in this Bible here are full of flaws, but God did amazing things with them. And he wants to do amazing things with us. I fall back. Look, I say this all the time. I never preach what I am. I preach what I ought to be. They say, when you need to learn something, teach it. I think that's the only reason God has me teach. So as we look back at this, it says that the few points that we covered, just right now as we close, very simple. God wants you to be people with character and sometimes to be characters. Okay? He likes personality. He wants, he made you a certain way. You're different than anybody else. Don't be somebody else. Don't be what the government wants us to be. Don't be what, what the world is trying to squeeze us into this mold. Second, do you hear the rooster crowing in your life, bird or man? What if the Lord is trying to change you or tell you something or move you into a different direction? Thirdly, how to be the greatest in God's kingdom. Point people to the cross. That's all you got to do. That's that's all you do. Just go up to you and say, you know, that's that's it. Barry says it all the time, but it's so simple. When I came across that with, with John the Baptist, I said, oh my gosh, I've tied things in such knots. It's ridiculous. Untie the knot. Make it simple. John the Baptist. There he is. Be saved. That's it. Finally, out of love for Jesus, we sacrifice. Remember, out of love for Jesus. Not for our own self-esteem. Not for what we do to feel good in church. Not because we want to be a part of an organization. Out of a love for Jesus, we sacrifice, we service, and we worship. We And if we do it for other reasons, in the end, it will do nothing but burn. Jesus knows. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this evening, and I want to thank you, God, and, and, and just powerful, I believe, which simple, powerful but simple, what you've called us to do. Lord, is the point. Lord, you, I thank God you're working in each one of our lives, Lord, and changing us and preparing us in this battlefield for heaven, Lord. And and so we just ask Holy Spirit to continue to work. Reveal in us what you desire us to do, Lord. Let us not be caught sitting on our hands. Let love for you to motivate us whatever direction you want us to go. What you have for one is not what you have for another. And, Lord, let us never get caught up by what somebody else is doing but what you want us to do. God, I thank you for this time, Lord. I, I just, I just thank you for your word and, and how powerful it is and how you took these men that were just, just, just falling apart and, and look how they ended well, God. And Lord, I just pray that each one of us ends well, Lord, as you work on us and our character. And, and finally, Lord, I ask you to continue to bless Pastor Barry and, and all that you're doing him over there and, and bring him home safely and keep his family safe. In Jesus' name, amen.